0: So let's start with a quick review. Yesterday we discovered that the internet and many apps are addicting, and they're finding that there is an addiction problem with these apps and with the internet and the devices that we have overall. We learned that doctors and scientists recommend we take time away from the phone the computer and other digital devices by implementing a tech-free time every day for a minimum of two hours, more than that or longer than that, or more frequently than just once a day or a longer period of time. They've shown have even greater benefits. It's a good time to just let your mind reset and, of course, engage in work or whatever you have to or take a walk, read a book, do something other than something dealing with tech. We've learned yesterday that technology is literally, physiologically rewiring our brain, and in a way that is not uh, productive. And they're finding that it's actually quite counterproductive. We're starting to get involved in this, this tendency over arching tendency to want instant gratification all the time with everything, even when, like we said yesterday, when you send a text, if they don't reply to you right away, you're starting to get anxious, cortisol gets released, why haven't they answered my text yet? So, we're we're training our children up in a society where it's instant gratification, and the reality is, as a Christian, as a human being, just in general, instant gratification is, has usually only brought on problems. It's when we're methodical, we plan things out, we save for that vacation or or for that mission trip, whatever it may be. When we deny self, it's actually far more productive. The problem is we're training up not only uh, the older generation, but especially the digital natives. We're training them up in instant gratification. We've also found that the overuse of the Internet by teenagers... Is causing atrophy of the gray matter of the brain. It's actually causing shrinkage in the brain, which leads to concentration and memory problems. Now, don't be fooled into thinking that we're not having the same problem with adult brains, because we are. But why do I keep bringing up the youth? Because friends, the youth's brains are still developing, especially when they're young. I mean, from they say from the time of uh, from two to three years old, all the way to 17 or 19 for males, the brain is still developing. So, when the brain is that tender in the developmental stage, this is when it's most susceptible. But it doesn't mean that we're not susceptible. Indeed, we are. We share the same brain, same type of brains. There is a loss of communication between the higher brain and the base brain. We saw that yesterday as well. Unfortunately, many of these tricks and things that they use to hack our brains are there to merely manipulate us. And unfortunately, the way that the internet works and the way that these apps work, eventually there's that rewiring again. In fact, communication between the executive branch of the brain, that frontal moral lobe, and the other provinces of the brain is hindered. In fact, sometimes they even say it's gone, it's toast. It's, it's toast. So the challenge we have is if we're not able to keep the lower passions, the other provinces of the brain in check by a frontal moral lobe, and that connection is being hampered, the more we engage in this digital world in excess, the more challenges we're going to have. Eventually, sociologists are afraid that this next generation may not even have a moral compass. Why? because the connectivity to the moral compass is being hindered right now. That's that's devastating information. We also learned that Internet Addiction Disorder, or IAD, and there are various other forms of this uh, disorder or different names for it. It ruins lives by causing neurological complications, psychological disturbances, and social problems. So we looked at yesterday also that we're having not just these physiological complications and neurological complications, but now we're seeing and we have seen for about the past 10-15 years, we've seen sociological problems. Young people, old people, whatever age, especially young people, are having problems learning how to communicate one with another. The face-to-face communion is going to become a thing of the past if we're not careful. And so, this is why it's important to implement those no tech times. Get off of it. You know, my mother does something that works very well because we would be sitting at Thanksgiving dinner and my niece and nephew are texting each other who are sitting right next to each other. I finally caught on. I went, wait a minute. Because all of a sudden I'd, I'd see her going like this and all of a sudden, hmm. Was that hers or his? Are you texting him? And she's like, yeah. I said, that's it? No. And my mom grabbed a basket and everybody put their phones in the basket. Because frankly, everybody that we needed to know if there was an emergency or anything like that, they were already in the house, right? So we put the phones, we turned them off, and you know what? It was frustrating for a lot of the family for the first 25 minutes. But then after that, It's almost like you go, oh, man, you know what? I'm just free to enjoy my family. And so that tech-free time is really powerful. We also learned that the statistics and problems apply not only to the youth, but to all people online with these devices. So when I say young people or students or children, it also means us because we're all children of God and we all share, like I said, the same brain. Well, not the same brain, but the same type of brain. So today, we're going to continue the Internet Infection Part 3. We're going to dive into the brain hacking side of things. I have a whole lot more planned, but honestly, I don't think we're going to get through all the material. My wife and I thought for sure we have about six, seven hours worth of material. No, we have probably like 10 or 12. So we're, I'm editing as we're going through every day. What do I say? What do I not say? And Lord, please give me... Wisdom. Now, if we have time, we'll get into a little bit of the gaming today as well. If not, we'll pick it up tomorrow. So we're gonna talk about brain hacking or what's called addiction coding in the industry. So it didn't start off by, hey, let's brain code, let's let's do some brain hacking on, on our users, but it has evolved into frankly a studied art form of how to get people to take action. And there's a lot of psychology uh, involved and neuroscience involved, as you will see. So, I'd like to introduce you to Tristan Harris. Now, he has been interviewed by every major network around the world, uh, different reporters, because he came out of Google himself. In fact, he, he actually started a company he was CEO of, and Google bought that company, And that company was largely involved in learning how to create these apps that can actually keep you linked into it and stay on the app. And so Google said, hey, we want your company. So they bought the company, and he continued to work there for a number of years. He has an interesting title, by the way. He's been called the conscience of Silicon Valley. Why? Because he quit working for Google when he saw that Silicon Valley, by and large, including Google, is engineering our phones, apps, and social media to get us hooked. He didn't like this. He's like, now, understand, he was involved in all of this from the beginning, but he, he like, had his epiphany and said, wait a second, we shouldn't be doing this. So this is an insider that we'll be looking at, a commentary from multiple interviews one Uh, largely was done on 60 Minutes and another. Tristan has spent, just to give you a little bit of idea of his background, he spent a decade understanding the invisible influences that hijack human thinking and action. Drawing on literature from addiction, social engineering, persuasive design, and behavioral economics, he is currently developing a framework for ethical persuasion, he calls it, especially as it relates to the moral responsibility of technology companies. So, he is one of the few tech insiders to publicly acknowledge that the companies responsible for programming your phones are working hard to get you and your family to feel the need to check in constantly. Whatever that may be, checking your, your, the Twitter feed, checking Instagram, checking all these other ones, Facebook, checking, texting people. We got to get society where they feel like they have to constantly check in. Does anybody feel that way? I, I do. It's like if I don't hear from my son within a certain amount of time or whatever, I start to wonder. I wonder if he's okay. I wonder if he's okay. You know, before, if your son was off in a different state, you would rarely hear from them in the 1900s unless he wrote, took the time to write a letter and it came through by horse. And then after that, we got the post, U.S. Post Office. And before you know it, you could send a letter and you could have it there pretty much overnight. And what's beautiful was the phone was invented so you could reach out and you could talk to, the, to our, our loved ones over the phone. And now we don't even talk to them over the phone. We want instant messages instantly. I don't even want to take the time to dial the phone. It is, my, my boys say it's so inconvenient. The phone is inconvenient, it's, but that's the new mindset. So, some programmers call it brain hacking or addiction coding, as we have said. So, along with many others, he's concerned that these products are shaping what 2 billion people think every day. I mean, that's more power than any government in history. If you put it in that framework, in that context, and think about, you have a couple of companies that are really starting to control the thought processes of two billion people. They're not controlling my thought processes. And you, my friend, are uninformed. He continues on. I think we have to ask those who... I think we have to ask, are those systems of social media, are they genuinely looking out for what will make society most well-off, or because of their business model, are they most concerned with what captures people's attention? Come on, I think we're all big boys and big girls here. We know the reality is they're looking at the bottom line. They, they want to find out whatever works, whatever I can do to capture your attention, little tricks little tips little tweaks in how even the app responds which we'll look at he asked he was asked a question so is this something that engineers keep in mind as they're designing the new bells and whistles they're thinking hmm how can i keep people addicted to their phone his response your phone is like a menu And it is always being populated by choices, whether it's through notifications or what shows up on the feed. And people think that this is neutral. Friends, this is not neutral. Driving behind all of this is somebody that has philosophical beliefs just like you and me. Driving all of this, as we will see, are engineers by the thousands who are trying to figure out how do we push people in certain directions. And we'll see that as we keep reading on. He says, what they miss is there is a thousand engineers on the other side of the screen whose job it is to put whatever should be on that menu that will capture your attention. And the problem is, all these companies have their hands tied. Why do they have their hands tied? They have them tied because they have to do whatever it takes to make it work to get our attention because that's their business model. Because the more time we are on the apps, the more valuable we are to them, and they can sell our eyeballs to advertisers. They can show all the analytics and all the statistics of just how much time user 1234 spends on their app. And here's what they're looking at. How many ads did they see during that time? And they codify this information, and they're able to take it to their advertisers and say, look, all of these people are on this app for this amount of time, and it resulted in this many clicks and links for people to go buy this product and that product. Ooh, hey, where do I sign? I'll give you a check right now. And this is how it works. Now, there's nothing wrong with capitalism, that's great, but friends, I should not be manipulated into buying your product, and we'll see that's what happens. In a 60 Minutes interview, Anderson Cooper asked Harris if he thought parents understood the complexities of what their kids are dealing with, and I don't think we do. When it comes to their phones, apps, and social media, Harris responded, remember, he's an insider, he sees what's going on, no. No. Do you think parents understand? No. And I think this is really important because there is a narrative that, quote, oh, I guess they're just doing like, you know, this like we used to gossip on the phone. So what's the difference if they're texting or if they're Snapchatting or Instagramming, whatever they may be doing? What's the difference? It, between that and just good old-fashioned gossip on the phone or in a letter. Have you, have you ever actually thought about that? Have you ever even heard this argument? There are some that say, come on, it's just like us gossiping back in the day on the phone. Well, here's a different perspective. And, he, and uh, he, Harris continues on. But what this misses is that out, your telephone in the 1970s didn't have a thousand engineers on the other side of it, who were redesigning it every day to work with other telephones and then updating the way your telephone worked every day to become more and more persuasive. The phone was the phone, right? When you picked up the phone, after you learned the first time how to use it, you could use that phone for the rest of your life. Well, until after the rotary ones, then you had to figure out how to push the buttons, right? And then, of course, the way that we had privacy back then was that we had a 25-foot cord that we'd stretch from the kitchen all the way into the family room to have a little bit of privacy, right? Now I'm dating myself. So, holding up his phone, he further explained, this thing is a slot machine. Every time I check my phone, I'm playing the slot machine to see What did I get? This is one way to hijack people's minds and to create a habit, to form a habit. You see, when we went to pick up the phone, there was nothing there to hijack our minds. It was just a phone. Nobody ever picked up the phone and got really major satisfaction by just pushing those buttons. But friends, the way the apps are created today just the way we push and tap the screen becomes a psychological excitement, and we'll see that as we, put, as we move on. So you cannot compare the two technologies. Our modern-day smartphones, frankly, our modern-day computers, are nothing more than that. They're high-powered, highly integrated computers that happens to have a phone. That's what it is. In fact, last night, my wife and I looked on here, and we tried to hunt for something, some setting on the phone that would have been an easy setting to just turn everything off but the phone in case somebody needed to get a hold of me. I couldn't find it. I'm not saying it's not there. I just couldn't find it. And I'm kind of tech savvy, but I could turn everything else off, the cellular data. I can turn off the Wi-Fi, the Bluetooth. I can turn off all these other things, but I couldn't just... Keep the phone on, because as soon as you turn off your cellular uh, service, the data, all of a sudden, bye-bye. Anyway, I was trying to say, could this thing just be a phone once again? It's not designed to be just a phone, even though lots of data is carried over the cellular network. So every time we we open this up, even on a smartphone, every time we open it and we put in that, that fingerprint or put in your code, you're going to get these notifications that start to populate your screens. And you start to say, well, what is all this? And even the whole scrolling thing we'll see in just a little bit is designed. Continuing on, he says, what you do is you make it so when someone pulls a lever, sometimes they get a reward, an exciting reward. And it turns out, that this design technique can be embedded inside of all of these products. So, in other words, he's talking about it being a slot machine. You know that there's actually built-in algorithms and slot machines to where they don't just pay you all the time, Sometimes they'll hold it back for this many times. Oh, they'll give you a little bit here, a little bit there. And before you know it, they'll give you more. And then they take it away. It's the, every time you pull that, there's that anticipation. What's it going to be? Nothing. There's more nothings than somethings, by the way. So the reward Harris is talking about, they are the big part of what makes smartphones so appealing. Because when you open it, what are you going to get? I mean, you can even change your background so when you open it, it's different every single time. That's not just because they're being nice and saying, hey, look at a, a different picture. It's all part of this process. The chance of getting likes on Facebook and Instagram, cute emojis and text messages, and new followers on Twitter twitter as just an example. All of these things keep us coming back. Keep us coming back. And get, having what they call screen time and screen time is billable. Screen time is sellable. You see, there's a pretty strong statement that floats around Silicon Valley, and that is that we users are the product. Whenever you get a free app, you can almost certainly guarantee that you are the product somehow, some way. Well, how is that true? Well. They can sell your time. Facebook, how much did Facebook cost you? How much did Instagram cost you? Or Twitter? How in the world can they have engineers that total in the thousands that are developing all these apps? How does everybody get paid? Nobody's paying for the app. It's through selling our screen time in ads, pop-ups, all these things. And you know what it's like. If you don't want to see all those ads, well, then you're going to pay for the app. Am I right? Right. Money makes the world go round, so they say in the business world. So he continues on. There's a whole playbook of techniques that get used to get you using the product for as long as possible. For example, he said, Snapchat's the most popular messaging service for teenagers. And they invented this this feature called streaks, which shows the number of days in a row that you've sent a message back and forth with somebody. Now, anybody that's probably under 20 years old for sure knows what streaks are. If you're 20, 30, 40, you're like, I don't know what a streak is. You might have a different idea of what streaking means, but not, not compared to what it is in the tech world. So now you could say, well, what's, that big, what's the big deal of all of that? I don't understand. What's the big deal? Well, the problem is that kids feel like, well, I don't want to lose my streak. We're still quoting Harris, by the way. Now, when they go on vacation, they're so stressed out about their streak that they will actually give their passwords to like five other kids to keep their streak going on their behalf. This is how addicting it is. So what you do... In fact, we had this happen in our own home, in in all transparency and confession. We had a family camping trip planned. Now, in our family, we all like camping. We love being out in nature. And so, when we go out there in that nature, and we can start to embrace and love, and my children have their whole life, once they started getting a little more tech-savvy a little bit later into their teen years, we didn't let our kids even have phones until they were in their, I think, 17 and 16 or something like that. Well, that's crazy. I know it's not, actually. It's it's called careful parenting. But what we did, my kids didn't even know that there wouldn't even be such a thing as no cell signal everywhere on the planet. How did they not know that? Well, because they had never owned them before. And so, eventually, as my boys got older, we were going to go out and head out on a camping trip. And we noticed, as we were getting closer to the date of departure, that one of our boys was getting stressed out. He was worried about whether or not we would have any phone signal out in the woods. So we talked about it, we told him very confidently, oh, most definitely there will not be any cell signal out in the woods, because that's part of the blessing. Now, in his mind, it was not a blessing at that moment. He melted down. He did not want to go. He didn't want to go to his favorite thing to do as a family. We would go out there. We'd fish together, catch and release, enjoy. the, this, the We'd go explore in the, in the rivers. We'd go climb trees. We'd go climb mountains. We'd all this stuff. And whenever my boy was out there with me in that wilderness, that was the happiest kid I knew. And now he doesn't want to go to do the happiest thing he wants to do? What's going on here? Friends, his thinking had been hijacked. Yeah. It had been hijacked. He did not want to lose that streak. They had, been, they had this streak for a couple hundred days that they every single day they communicated. Every single day they communicated. Even if they just went, hey, what's up? Hey, what's up? Bam, that day is done, taken care of. But every day... You would set alarms to make sure that he would, he would do and continue that streak, yet he would forget to do his homework, right? Or be late to work sometimes. Oh, he was never off with that streak. I mean, after all, you know, it's, it's so highly important in this life to have meaningless conversation with somebody over a long period of time. But what's sad is that became so important to him that he would rather not go and he would rather miss out on camping just to do a little text every day. And we just said, oh, that's not an option, buddy. You're going and you're going to have a good time whether you like it or not. (laughs) So he gave his phone and his passwords and stuff, he gave it to one of his friends and made his friend, I mean, like almost like a blood oath, you know, you've got to promise me you'll do this every day. I've set alarms. He made all these provisions to keep this little, silly, addictive streak going. These types of brain hacks are found everywhere. They're so simple, but they are hugely effective. And this is called gamification, by the way. And it's the process of adding games or game-like elements to something, such as a task, to encourage participation. So, in other words, what happens is it becomes a competition. Well, how how many days do you have on your streak? You've got 100, I've got 120. And I've got a little, you know what they win? They win little trophies that they can prove they've been doing it for 100 days. Because Snapchat issues all these little emojis and trophies and you can put them in a trophy case. Yeah! You win an emoji. Yay! And I'm not trying to belittle people involved in streaks on Snapchat, but what I'm saying is you're being manipulated to do this so you're on there so they can sell your eyeballs. It encourages competition, and therefore, we want to win. And all this, we get to win this amazing Snapchat trophies. That's what you win. I can't see it, but you can. There you go. That's what you win. In fact, you actually, you earn different ones based on different things that they have you do. They'll have you take X amount of front camera selfies, They'll have you, And then, oh, you win this for doing that. They're creating all of these ways to keep you on it. And it's a game and it's fun. And then you go, whoa, where did those three hours go? So don't think we're just talking about a few days here. The current official world record for the longest Snapchat streak is 798 days that can be officially, by Snapchat and all their analytics, they can say, this is the longest one right now. There's other ones, because guess what people do now? They're hacking in to get all these emojis so they can brag for something they didn't even do. I don't understand. Little emojis, that's what we get. While Silicon Valley makes billions of dollars off of our wasted, largely wasted time. Harris continues, so you could ask, when these features are being designed, are they designed to help people live their life, or are they being designed because they're best at hooking people into using the product? And then Anderson Cooper asked Harris on an interview, he said, is Silicon Valley programming apps, or are they programming people? Good question inadvertently is his response whether they want to or not they are shaping the thoughts and feelings and actions of people they are programming people so here's an industry insider at the top of the game saying they're programming people that's what the apps are being used to do do you think there could be some sort of conspiracy behind this maybe I'm not a conspiracy theorist. Well, then you're not a Christian. If you're a Christian, you believe in the largest conspiracy ever, Satan and his rebellion, my friends. So I believe with all of my heart, the more I research this, the more we look into it, the more I go, we got to talk about that too. We got to talk about this too. Before you know it, we'll have a a college semester to talk about all this. I believe without a shadow of a doubt that many of these people are not in it to deceive and destroy people. They're in it to do what their boss or the company is asking them to do. But I have to believe some of the people at the upper echelons, they know exactly what is going on. And friends, I don't think they're being led many times by the spirit of self-sacrifice. You follow what I'm saying? I do believe behind this type of thing is the devil as the puppet master. I believe it's the devil behind the curtain, if you will. And he's moving things because if he can't get you distracted with TV or movies or your job or or music, he's going to get you distracted with anything that he can. And he's going to get us so addicted that if we can't even have our phone and continue a silly little thing, we'll even deny ourselves healthy, amazing, wonderful family time out in nature, like I gave you that example of my son. Our brains are literally being hijacked. Continuing on, Harris says, there's always this narrative that technology's neutral, and it's up to us to choose how we use it. This is... Just not true, he says. So the tech insider at the upper echelons who understands what's going on is saying, this, this technology anyway is not neutral. It's not neutral. They want you to use it in particular ways and for long periods of time because that's how they make their money. So he found himself asking a question. When is all of this adding up to an actual benefit to my life? He asked it personally. And he says, we need to stop and pause for a moment and say, is this benefiting me anyway in my life? Because friends, if it's addicting, and indeed it is, we saw that yesterday, and we are being manipulated, and indeed we saw that yesterday, and we're seeing more of that today and it wastes copious amounts of time for no real benefit, then why are we doing it? because everybody is right that's what's going on. I mean, I have so many requests for LinkedIn and Facebook and all the i can't if I just went through and and just yes, 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 and and accepted all the firm requests, it takes me hours. But you know, Facebook will not allow you just to select all and hit yes. You have to go through the process of yes, 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 yes. It's all about keeping you on their stinking apps. Now, do we use them? We do. Do we try to use them for righteousness' sake? We do. So we can utilize them, but we don't want them to use us. We have to understand what's going on. Does that make sense? Excellent. Continuing on, he says, Never before in history have a handful of people at a handful of technology companies shaped how a billion people think and feel every day with the choices they make about these screens. There are more users on Facebook than followers of Christianity. There are more people on YouTube than followers of Islam. And I don't know a more urgent problem than this. So we have huge, vast numbers of people who are engaged in these social media platforms, engaged utilizing these apps, on the websites, playing games, surfing, doing all this stuff. And if you, you know as well as I do, If you just sit there and start typing things in on a Google search engine, you're going to have ads pop up and all you're going to go, it's like they read my mind. How did they know I needed that? Did you know you can go on YouTube and watch a video, I wish I could remember the guy's name, I'll try to find it and maybe tell you tomorrow, where this young man sat there and wanted to test something because he saw a pattern. He said, you know what, I opened up my laptop, he's videotaping the whole thing, he goes, so I'm just going to talk to you in normal sentences, he's talking to the camera, and just talking whatever, and I'm going to mention a couple of things that I need, you know, it would be really great if I could find a dog dish for my dog, and, and I'd really prefer if it would be orange, and he just continued talking or whatever, and friends, before you knew it, it started popping up on his screen right there on camera they're listening they're watching there are very powerful supercomputers that are crunching data and number and analytics and statistics to give you everything that your little heart might desire based on your searches based on what you're what you're looking at they know that this is this is interesting if all of a sudden you start getting all of these emails and ads that are dealing with a certain subject you can know it's because you have your info has been hacked And by the way, you already agreed to all of this when you look through their 55-page or 100-page terms and agreement. You already said, do whatever you want with my information. Yeah, but if I don't say accept, then I can't use it. I know. We are willingly turning it all over to them and saying, hey, do whatever you want with it. Have you ever thought about this? When I was growing up, and like I said, I'm only 49, but when I was growing up, girls especially had these little books called diaries, right? And they'd write out all their thoughts and their emotions and they, they would paste little things in there, and put pictures and, and little clippings or whatever, and they would get very deep sometimes, not so deep, and, oh, I think he's so cute, or whatever. They're writing out, you know, all of their thoughts, right? And if your brother came, ladies, and took that diary and started reading it, what did you want to do? Give him a knuckle sandwich, right? And you'd run off to mom and dad and say, he violated my privacy. He, he read what were my thoughts. And we'd get upset because somebody read it. But now we have public Diaries that we put out there for people to see everything. And guess what? We're mad when you don't read it. Oh, gosh is right. Lord, have mercy. You see how the change in the thought process has happened? Do you see it? We go from having some privacy to having no privacy. And then we're upset If all of a sudden a naked picture gets flown out there about you, they've already got everything anyway. By the way, just don't take the pictures. By the way, that's what Snapchat is largely used for, by the way. I don't know if you understand how that works, but that and Instagram, different ones, they have, basically have a feature where you can, Snapchat specifically, you can snap a photo and as soon as the other person opens and looks at it, it deletes it, it's gone. Well. Well from the apps not off the servers that's the lie and then there's data breaches and all of a sudden your little 13 year old naked girls pictures are all over the internet oh not mine are you sure we talked about the whole the whole sexual problems we have on the internet yesterday Harris wrote a 144-page presentation. And in this presentation, he argued that the constant distractions of apps and emails are weakening our relationships to each other and destroying our kids' ability to focus. It is widely it was widely read. So he he wrote this, this manifesto basically, and it was spread around Google where he was working at the time. And it was read largely within Google. And it actually caught the eye of one of the founders, Larry Page. But Harris told 60 Minutes, it didn't lead to any changes. And so after three years, he quit. And here's what he says. It's not because anyone is evil or had bad intentions. It's because the game is getting attention at all costs. Because that's the business model. So when he was asked, what's the path forward? How do we get out of this? He said, what we really need is a new conversation about what do we want all of this technology to be fitting into? And if it's going to fit into our lives, it has to respect and honor the boundaries of our humanity. You know, you don't have to publish everything, my friends. And frankly, some things are better left between you and the Lord. It's kind of like, and he continues on, it's kind of like, that's my son calling, declined. Look, I just had success. (laughs) Amen. I think it's kind of like the environmental metaphors in coal, he says. Left to our own devices, we'll just extract all of it from the ground and pollute the whole environment until we say, hey, uh, we need some protections in place. And friends, this is the type of thinking that we see everywhere. We just clumsily bound forward, not thinking of the current or future consequences. And there are some that are thinkers that are stepping aside and going, wait a second, we have some problems here. We need to start putting some parameters in place, perhaps. We need to call these tech companies to a higher level and, and, and have them stop manipulating our minds, even though we are willfully being manipulated. But they're tricking us. And if anything, they should at least have full disclosure. He wants to now, Harris now travels the the country and the world trying to convince programmers and anyone who will listen. He's trying to convince that the business model of tech companies needs to change. He wants products designed to make the best use of our time, not just grab our attention. He's worried about a generation that cannot remember a life disconnected. That's most of our children. They, they, like we talked about yesterday, they're the digital natives, and we're the digital immigrants. So for us, sometimes we can see maybe the challenges or the problems, but when it's been your life, your whole life, you don't see the problems sometimes. Now, there are others, other insiders in the industry who are starting to talk about this too. And one of those other tech insiders is Ramsey Brown. He's a computer programmer who understands how the brain works and knows how to write code that will get the brain to do certain things. Ramsey Brown studied neuroscience. So he's actually educated in the neurosciences before co-founding Dopamine Labs, a startup company named after the dopamine molecule in our brains that aids in the creation of desire and pleasure. Brown and his colleagues write computer code for apps. The programs are designed to provoke a neurological response. In an interview, he was asked, you're trying to figure out how to get people coming back to use the screens, right? Brown responds, exactly. When should I make you feel a little extra awesome to get you to come back into the app longer? You're part of a controlled set of experiments that are happening in real time across you and millions of other people. So, the computer code he creates actually finds the best moment. I alluded to this yesterday. The best moment that you can receive an award or a reward of some sort, which actually have no tangible value. But Brown says... We can trigger your brain to make you want more. For example, on Instagram, he reports sometimes those likes come in a sudden rush. He says they're holding some of them back for you to let you know later in a big burst. So I alluded to this yesterday. So even the way that they give us our notifications and our likes and the thumbs up and the emojis, they'll, they have algorithms that have learned Christian really spends more time on this app, when we give him consistent emojis. No, you know what? Frank over here, he really likes it when he gets a burst and he's on there 15 minutes longer than Christian. So they are are analyzing everything we're doing. And they're saying we know exactly when to release it because we've figured you out. And we haven't even figured ourselves out, but these major corporations have. He says... Hey, like here's 30 likes we didn't mention from a little while ago, by the way. He says, Yeah, but why that moment? Because there's an algorithm that predicted for this user right now, who is experimental subject seven, nine, B3 in experiment two, three, one, we think we can see an improvement in his behavior if we give it to him in a burst instead of that kind of burst. Did you know this was going on? I thought I was kind of educated on the subject, but the more we keep digging, the more I go, <laughs> we're in trouble. Oh, it's, it's total manipulation of the pleasure and reward section of the brain. That part of the brain is being hijacked. And when Brown says experiments, he's talking generally about the millions of computer calculations that are being used every moment by his company and others. He's writing the code, used to consistently tweak your online experience and make you come back for more. They're constantly monitoring everything, as I said before. Anderson Cooper, he says in this interview, he says, so we're guinea pigs. Ramsey Brown says, you're guinea pigs. You are guinea pigs in the box pushing the button, and sometimes getting the likes, and they're doing this to keep you in there. So the longer we stay on those screens, the more, remember I talked about like that, that lab animal that will hit that button to get the drug instead of the food, and eventually they'll starve themselves to get the drug? That's what's happening. We keep hitting the button. We keep opening the screen. We keep Hitting the button and the little brain goes, oh, oh, I like that. Because everything is designed to give you a little reward. It's not like you're it's not like this. You're not going, oh, I'm on this, and oh I'm getting my fix. It's it's incremental, it's minuscule. Sometimes it is elating, and you can literally have a physiological reaction and an emotional reaction. But what it is, is it's that little time, little tiny bit of juicing, little bit of juicing all the time to where you want that feeling. You don't even realize it's this and what's on this that's giving you that feeling. We, we looked into that yesterday. So, Ramsey says, like I mentioned earlier, you don't have to pay for Facebook <laughs> because all the advertisers pay for Facebook. He says, that's an interesting way, Cooper says, that's an interesting way to look at it, that you're not the customer for Facebook Uh, for Facebook. No, no, I said that wrong. I think I wrote that wrong. Anderson Cooper said, that's an interesting way to look at it, that you're not the customer for Facebook. Oh, that's right, because we're the product. He says, no, we're the product. The customer is Coca-Cola who writes the check. Brown says, there's a reason even for texts and Facebook to use a scroll, a continuous scroll, because it's a proven way to keep you searching longer. So you scroll down, scroll down, scroll, even on your Facebook. Man, you can scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll before you know it. Oh, look, there's the beginning of the world, it seems like. And it'll show you all of that stuff that's in there and then you happen upon that one thing, ooh, it's that whole idea of we're going to pull that lever on that that slot machine. What are we going to get today? What are we going to get today? Even our texts. Who texted me? When you spend... You spend half your time on Facebook just scrolling to find what good piece worth looking at. It's happening because they are engineered to become addictive. Cooper Anderson asks him, so you're almost saying it's like there's an addiction code. Brown says, yeah, that is the case. That since we've figured out, to some extent, how these pieces of the brain that handle addiction are working, people have figured out how to juice them further and how to bake that information into apps. And this is a high-level tech insider that runs a Fortune 500 company that writes code that he's just spilling the beans. So we have to understand, the way that these websites and apps are designed, they are created to create within us a deep sense, a deep-seated desire to want to be on them and to return to them. I know people, in fact, I saw this with my own eyes. We, my brother and I, for Father's Day, we went and we had a massage in two different rooms, massage. I told him, turn off your phone, buddy. Just don't, don't even airplane it because if you have a, if you have a, a notification or, or a timer set, it'll go off. So just turn it off. He's like, you know what, man, I'm going to do it. And as we were walking out after we were done with this great, relaxing, unplugged hour, he couldn't get his phone on quick enough and as for about the next 15 or 20 minutes of our ride, getting back home, he was nothing but on this. And I'd say something, you'd go, oh yeah, uh-huh, oh really, uh-huh. And he, he was just at it. He was checking everything because he's addicted. Some of you are realizing that you're probably addicted. So what are you going to do? We'll talk about in the next two days here and there, we will talk about some of the the things that these tech insiders actually do. There are some practical things you can do. The challenges, none of them are foolproof because somebody's out there to hack everything. So we just have to realize that we need to be careful how we as educated people how we proceed throughout our day with these devices. Do I think these devices are evil? No. Do I think the people creating these apps are evil? No. Because frankly, the ones who are deceived and don't know they're deceived are the greatest agents of Satan. I think many of them are deceived. I think what they have is a faulty model for business. So, here are some specific, we'll go through just a few, specific tactics on top of all the other things we've already talked about, we're going to get a little more specific now looking at some of the apps. One of the most popular methods used by apps and platforms is to, to keep your attention. It wasn't actually invented by techies at all. It is a psychological tool often employed in casinos called Variable Ratio Schedule. I alluded to this earlier. The concept refers to when an action is rewarded but at various times. The user doesn't know when they will be rewarded, just that they will. You play long enough, you're going to get a reward. It might be a a nickel, but that's a reward. Your brain goes, ooh, look. And then what do you do? You put more money back in, right? So it's all, it's been around for a long time. The user does not know that they'll be rewarded. They just know that they will. They don't know when, and in no particular pattern. So it's very random, which your brain likes to because that creates some excitement. That's what slot machines do. Each time you pull the lever, you may win a small payout or a giant jackpot or no reward at all, but you know going in, that's that's part of it. And then, when you swipe your finger down on Twitter, for example, a spinning wheel indicates that the app is loading more content. You don't know what you're getting, but you're hoping to see something new and something that interests you. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. Twitter also employs this technique in other more subtle ways. As Vice's Julian Morgans points out, each time you open the Twitter app, the screen is blue for a moment. Then the white Twitter bird pulsates, and eventually the bird widens to reveal your feed. While, here's here's the thing, If if you're on any of these apps, you know exactly what they're talking about. While most people, if they notice this at all, may chalk it up to a slow connection or a lot of traffic to the app or an old slow phone, but this is not the case. This happens every time you open Twitter, no matter where you are or how fast your device is. That delay... Those few little seconds where you're not sure what you're going to see is is almost like a drug. It is so enticing. What? And it creates that anticipation. Well, what's coming? I mean, it's got to be loading something good, right? You don't know what you're going to get, but you keep coming back. So that little delay is there on purpose. It could instantly populate, but they know, if we let you wait just a little bit longer then you know something good's got to be coming up, and you'll spend more time on the app. In fact, you might even be rewarded with new tweets. Ooh, here's a brand new tweet. Or you may see things you already read yesterday. They will hold back information from you for you to go, well, that's the same thing as yesterday. Friends, there are so many billions of tweets. There's nothing. Yesterday was old news. But Twitter's holding it back from you. When you open it up, you go, oh, yeah, I saw that yesterday. Okay. So you're let down a little bit. But guess what it creates inside of you? Next time, there's surely going to be something that I want to read. And we go back through the pro- Oh, man, I got five new Twitter feeds. Wow, look at that, look at that, look at that, look at that. Do you, do you see how manipulative this is? Even how we, the app loads its information. And we keep coming back for more. These little tweaks to these applications by professionals are playing with our minds, our emotions, and our hormones. Now, Twitter is certainly not alone using this trick. Apps like Instagram and Facebook, they use it too. This happens every time that you open up Twitter. By the way, it uses a psychological trick to lure you in, the same one used in slot machines. Let's look at Facebook. Facebook uses Color to catch users' attention. Facebook banks on its position as one of the world's most used apps. Their methods work too. The way they're doing it, they have figured this out. Facebook is nearly always among the top five free apps in the App Store. And Facebook remains the most used app in the United States. It is the absolute most used app. Why? Because it has the most users on it. One billion a day active users. Two billion monthly different users. Their method works. The only reason that Facebook is ever not the most downloaded app is when something comes out that is way more shiny for that day. That's the only reason. Something comes out, everybody talks about it. Oh, so they're always in top five, but they're never usually one of the top because they're just always there. And something else might shine it out for a day or two. One unique method Facebook uses helping you to log into other apps rather than creating a new username and password for each app you download, you can often use your Facebook account to log in. So having a Facebook account becomes a convenience feature. In recent years, Facebook has capitalized on that by becoming a log book for your life. Its memories feature keeps track of your daily life over how many years you've had Facebook. For many people... That can be at least 10 years they've had this uh, memories. And that memory catalog, every single photo, it, all your posts, and all the friendships. And then it alerts you to it each day, causing you to open the app to see what you were doing four or eight years ago. I mean, it's a neat feature, but it keeps you coming back. It keeps you wanting to see your own life, if you will. Facebook also tracks, keeps track of friends' birthdays and friends' anniversaries, friend anniversaries, creating custom videos to commemorate how many years you and another person have been Facebook friends. So they're finding, not not, not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's on the platform of we're going to do whatever we can to get you back into the app because we want to sell your eyeballs. In many ways, social, uh, Facebook has positioned itself as more than just a social media app. It's now a way to keep track of your social life. Let's look at Instagram for a moment. Facebook owns Instagram, so it's no surprise that the two apps use similar methods to hook us. Out of every app out there, Instagram has got to be one of the most addicting. There are several reasons you can get hooked on Instagram. The habit-forming nature of taking pictures and videos, the immediate payoff of pretty filters, and the intimacy of building a social network. And what it's doing is it's turning um, our, our world into people who are so self-absorbed and self-obsessed. You, you cannot even have a deep, loving, incredible relationship with someone else when you love yourself so much that you can, there's no room for anybody else. I mean, people are posting up to hundreds of times every day. You cannot possibly look your best every single day at uh, 200 times. But you'll work for that photo, and everybody's doing this, got the big old lips puffed up, right? Mm, mm, mm. It, it started because of some popular celebrities, and now everybody's doing it. You're not being original, you're just following the multitude, right? And But this is how it goes. But Instagram has its own tactics to keep you engaged. If you've enabled push notifications on Instagram, you'll likely receive a message about any number of things. Someone's first story on Instagram. Well, I'd like to see what he said his first time. That's fine. When a Facebook friend has joined the platform, hey, they came, finally came over the river. And when one of those people you follow on Instagram is filming live video on the platform, you'll get that notification. Hey, Christian's live right now. You better go watch him. So what it does, friends is it constantly pulls our attention and distracts us from what's important in our life, even including our relationships and our jobs. Now, you can customize and limit these notifications, of course, but frankly, you got to dig around to find it. It's not very easy. They don't put it right on the screen because they don't want you disabling it. The simple fact that push notifications, though obvious, the simple fact is they work. And so, like like I mentioned yesterday, when I'm working on something that's important, I will set aside my phone and I will turn it off. And I will close my email client. I will close that because I don't want those notifications popping up. I want to focus. But when you've allowed push notifications, which is basically a notification coming from an app, software, uh, a website, whatever it may be, it's giving you notifications, you can turn all those off and you can actually just have a much... More uh, peaceful life, less distracting. And I would encourage that, by the way. At minimum, embrace that two-hour-a-day of a tech-free zone. Interestingly enough, according to research from mobile analytics, and urban firm called Urban Airship, sending out weekly push notifications can double user retention. So they know, we've got to have user notifications, we've got to push out notifications on iOS devices, and listen to this. How many Android people are here? Who who uses Androids? Did you know? I don't know why, but they have a six-fold increase of retention on Android users when they send out push notifications. It's twice as much on the Apple smartphone on iOS, but it's six times as much on Android. I don't know what gives there. I haven't looked into it, but that's staggering. So push notifications are the first line of this strategy, says Randy Nelson, an analyst for app intelligence from Sensor Tower. He told Business Insider. He said they address you directly and say, hey, come back to the app, is basically what they're saying. It's the most overt thing these apps do, and it's an integral part to the process of reengaging the user. So one tip is turn off those notifications if you want to just have a more simple life. Turn them off. You can always open the app and see what happened the last five minutes. Come on now. Do you really need to see Aunt Buffy washing her kitty cat? You don't. Who cares? If you want to watch it later when you're not at work or driving the car, then look at it later, right? The problem with the notification is you have... You have this sense of urgency that you have to respond. I have been beckoned, so now I need to respond. No, you don't. But you, you would think that we, we believe we have to respond. Is any of this making any sense to anybody? Good, because this is, this is kind of a crazy subject to see how our brains are being hijacked and how they're creating this addiction code in our devices. Boy, time is going fast. I'm only on slide 33 of 85. I don't think I planned my time very well. But there's just too much to, to, to share. And honestly, I, I'm going through each day going, what do we, what do we not? You know, it's, it's incredible. And the other way that Instagram encourages you to, to stay on the app is to watch stories. And stories, uh, at every turn, uh, that makes them addicting. Stories are the first thing you see when you open the app. They're housed at the top of the screen, but they also periodically show up in the middle of scrolling through your feed, like in the image above. So what'll happen is you'll be scrolling, at the beginning is the story, so someone has gone through and they've, they've uh, made a little video story of multiple videos, and you can watch that. And it'll come up, if you are their friend or what have you, then it'll come up as a feed on yours, and it'll, it'll notify you with that push notification, and then you can sit there and you can watch it. Sometimes, as you're scrolling through to see, that very one will show up again. They're like, repopulated. They didn't look at it. Repopulated. They didn't look at it. It's just, and it's real time. The computers are doing all these analytics real time, every day, 24-7. And once you're watching one person's story, you'll automatically be shepherded into the next person's story without even leaving the interface. Unless you manually swipe or, or X out of the stories, you could wind up watching them for a very long time. Just one to the next, to the next, to the next. Before you know it, you're like, whoa, where'd my lunch hour go? Right? Instagram. Instagram sends dozens of, of push notifications each week and uses stories to attract you. Obviously, was what we just talked about. Now, LinkedIn. LinkedIn taps into the concept of social reciprocity. In other words, if you scratch my back, I'm going to scratch yours. So, it, it, what it does is it starts to manipulate our emotions and our thought of being good to someone else because they were good to me. So, They don't have the same popularity like Snapchat or Instagram, but it does have a huge, wide reach. And it's always among the top 100 free apps in the App Store. It's the sixth most popular uh, social networking app on the planet. And here's a few subtle ways that LinkedIn encourages you to spend time in their app. But one that stands out is known as a psychological tactic. LinkedIn frequently taps into the concept of social reciprocity, which we said, the idea that I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. According to Harris, the former Google design ethicist, he said, for example, when someone sends you an invitation to connect, directly below the invitation is a list of people that you, in turn, could connect with. LinkedIn turns your unconscious impulse to add a person into this new social obligation that millions of people feel obligated to, reply, to repay. So if you are nice to me, I'm going to feel obligated to feel nice to you. And any of us professionals that are on LinkedIn, you know what it's like. And in fact, when I get, I get so many requests, it's, it's amazing. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. A month. And it'll say, hey, so-and-so wants to... Uh, uh, Join your LinkedIn. I can't remember the phraseology. And then I'll say, I'm busy. I can't go and and click it and say, yes, you can join it and and be a part of of my group here. No, uh, I'm going to wait. And then it'll send me another notification, email later. Hey, so-and-so tried to uh, join your group five days ago. It's like, dude, what's wrong with you? And so it's doing is it's trying to compel us to action. It's trying to move us into decision and action. It's trying to get us back on that app so they can sell our time on the app. Tinder. Tinder is a, a dating app, something similar to Bumble or Grindr or Coffee Meets Bagel. And they've taken a cue from the world of smartphone gaming. The app, which aims to help couples meet, has turned finding companionship into a game. While dating apps, as a category, are typically well-represented among the top-grossing app in the U.S., Tinder is the number three-grossing app in all of the U.S., according to app intelligence firm App Annie. It's Tinder's format, swipe left on someone you don't like, and swipe right on someone you're interested in that keeps people hooked. So, the very fact of swiping left or swiping right is what gets those people hooked into Tinder. I I would have never perceived that. But there's something really fun about swiping left and swiping right, apparently. Much like social media apps, Tinder utilizes the variable ratio schedule concept, the slot machine tactic, to encourage you to keep swiping, just in case the next person is your soulmate. So, no, no, yes, oh, maybe, no, yes, no, 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 oh. So they will, even in their algorithms, they will keep back someone that they think might just be your match. So you keep searching. And then they'll release a couple that you go, hey, well, now that's possible, and then you keep searching, and then there's a dearth for a while, but then you, you want to get back on there and see, has, has anybody now been linked up with me that maybe I want to meet? Before you know it, you're thinking about tender all the time. And it's not because they're purposefully being efficient and giving you the best match. It's because they're manipulating how they give you the data. And that's disgusting to me. That's, that's so bad. It frustrates me, frankly. In fact, swiping itself can become addictive. So much so that Tinder, listen to this, put a limit on the number of likes or right swipes you can get for free each day. Now you have to pay for more swipes by opting for Tinder's plus or gold tiers. So now, they're going to make it to where you can't get that, that, that soulmate information. You can't get this now. You can only swipe no so many times. So guess what? You become real careful with your nose. Why? Because now I'm going to have to pay to swipe no? What? This is craziness. People pay, though. In a story in the Washington Post, Jeanette Purvis a doctoral student in psychology at the University of Hawaii, likened the feeling people get from using Tinder to one, to one drug addict, addict's experience. In a study on the brains of drug addicts, researchers found that the expectation of the drug caused more release of the feel-good neurotransmitter dopamine than the drug itself. Now, that, is, that has been publicized for a very long time. What they're finding is the way these apps are created, the way the social networking platforms are created is the anticipation sometimes gives you even more of that dopamine hit than actually swiping left or swiping right. That little pause while it populates and gives you all the Twitter feed, that little pause while it waits to give you all the Snapchat information, that little thing right then, your brain realizes, oh, Something, something's coming. So, yay, pulled lucky number seven. Ding, 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 ding. And our brains are being hijacked. Addiction code, as it's called in the industry. How can we get people to look at our apps and to continue on? And, and this just continues on and on and on. I mean, we have far too much information here. We are out of time. But friends, I want to encourage you be very careful with what you're allowing into your brains. Be very careful how you're going to access your information. We'll look at tomorrow social media now specifically and what social media's great lie is. We'll also be looking at, at, at false news, not fake news and what our president says, but we're talking about real false news and the problem with how Facebook is using, being used to propagate political ideas. And so we're going to look at all these different things tomorrow in the social media section of this message. But until then, think about that. Do you need to be notified all the time of what's going on all the time? We are not that important. I am not God, and God never wanted me to have omnipresence. And when you think about Facebook and some of these other social media platforms, they can be very voyeuristic and inappropriate looking into other people's lives, and then jealousy starts to be bred. Well, I don't have that kind of vacation, and so on. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. Be careful, little fingers, what you tap on on your screen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, please be with us now as we go out throughout day. Help us to make great decisions for you. Impress us with your Holy Spirit. For we pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake.